Welcome, everyone, to your director's roundtable for Dreamnasium. I am your executive producer, Jeffrey Bridges, and I am joined by my fellow executive producer, Susan Bridges. There she is. And we are here to talk about the directing of Dreamnasium, which is our anthology show based on the stories of Mr. Jeffrey Thorne, who's also here with us. What? How dare you? Okay, that's him. <laughs> and uh, the directors joining us, we have Catherine Pride. Hello. Yay. Dave Morgan. Greetings, programs. Brendan mm -hmm. Bell. Hey, everybody. And Paul Brueggemann. Hi, hi. Let's just get right into it, and we'll go sort of in the order that the episodes were released in. So we'll start with um, The Lingering Grief of Twilight, the story that destroyed me, the episode that destroyed me. Um, it's it's very emotional. It's very, it hurt me a lot, uh, but I love it in a good way. Um, so I think, um, of course, there's two episodes for each of these, but the thing I want to start with uh, for Kat especially is I want to talk about the hardest thing, at least from my perspective, that you had to do, which was um, translating Twilight's name into music. Yes. Yeah, I felt that really was, bad uh... Uh, giving that to you, even though it came out <laughs> great, but I felt horrible. So um, how did you do that? How do you approach something like that and make it cool? Uh, so, you know, um, I kind of, uh, you know, first of all, I, I mean, I read the whole thing as a, as a, as all together. Like I didn't really pay attention to the fact that there was a page split or anything. I just kind of looked at the story as a whole. And I really loved the idea that we were always hearing Twilight's name in some sense of the word. So, um, as I kind of started thinking about the soundscape of what I wanted to do, I knew that I needed something that was going to be understated, but not you know, not like so understated that it gets lost. Um, and so chimes just kind of popped into my head. And I was like, that's, that's going to work. Um, and I think it helps that I already love fantasy. And I mean, if you've heard me in, if you've listened to my directing in Avalon, that's a very similar kind of feeling, but different. And um, so I really wanted to give Twilight her own sort of identity and soundscape and feeling. And so I spent a couple of hours looking at music cues and i think that was actually the first thing i sent you right jeffrey of was was her name was i had put all of the all of the music cues and the chimes together and said here listen to this this is what i'm thinking um and it was just a trial and error effect once i found music that i felt worked with the chimes that i had picked how many pieces of music was it did you mix a couple of different ones together so it, that one piece of music that you heard is is one piece but what i did was uh uh the music from the composer had about three different variants of the same theme. So what I did was I took all of the variants of his theme, listened to them all, and I found uh, out of the three variants, I found a part of the music that sounded the most uh, similar to the others so that when you actually get to that, that swell at the end of the story where you hear her name in its entirety, it's the same piece of music that you've been hearing as she meets Eolus and as she loses Eos, or as she meets Eos and loses Eos, and as she raises Eolus and loses Eolus. So her family is intertwined in her name Aww, from a musical that's perspective. Awesome. Nice. That's genius. That's so amazing. I wouldn't so, have ever thought of anything like that. Yeah. So that was that was how I approached it. Was so much of her identities is is caught up in the fact that nobody really knows her name and you can't understand it. And I just thought that was, that was a, a directing opportunity that I've just, you know, I, I dove head first into. I loved it. Uh, that's beautiful. That's really, 
like first of all my participation will largely just be telling you guys how great you are so <laughs> uh that was great <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's heartbreaking the idea that her whole family's wrapped up i mean that just gives me so many things to think about writing wise like as you live forward in your life the music of the people that intertwine in your life become part of the definition of you that's pretty awesome it's uh, amazing i kind of like that a lot we're all you're well, all just gonna start crying now it's okay, yeah. It's okay. <laughs> yeah man i'm so sorry i did not mean to make you very emotional but the muse the muse she uh she spoke and she was she was quite amazing to work with so i i it was awesome but um would you say outside of that, which obviously was a, a whole project sort of in and of itself, just coming up with the sound of her name, but what was the most difficult thing for you otherwise? Because like, I thought from my perspective, I mean, I want to let you answer this, but my, for, for me, when you, she puts that shield over herself in that first episode and her voice changes so you can hear her talking in space or whatever. I don't know. Um, like, was that a mixture of sound effects too? Because for me, it was like, how do you make it sound like this is a shield? And that's exactly what it sounds like. But if I had to pick the sound effects, I don't think I could have found them. So to me, so, that's another impressive bit of what you did. So, so this is definitely one of those, like, I played to type, you know, you gave me a superhero. So thankfully, I love superhero sound effects. And that's like all I did for 50 <laughs> episodes. And one of the things that I started out with at the very beginning of this was I was... I was very clear before I started looking for sound effects that I did not want Twilight to sound anything like what I had done with Avalon. I wanted her to have her own unique set of ability. You know, I wanted her soundscape to be unique. So um, if it sounded like something I could have used on Avalon, I actually didn't use it. I probably put it away. And I went and looked for um, different things that kind of gave a sense of well, you know, the whole idea behind her is she's practically a sunburst just waiting to come out. So I wanted everything to be energy-based and to feel like um, everything she does from an energy perspective is almost effortless until she just unleashes at the end. And so um, that beginning scene that you mentioned was actually one of the easiest scenes for me because it, to me, she's putting up this barrier around herself. It's effortless. So I wanted something really understated and easy of just that little whoosh and then she's in it. Um, and to make that sound more impressive than it you know, technically was, uh, I made sure that that sound of her breaking the, the atmosphere barrier was this loud rush and it's, you can hear the turbulence and then boom, she punches through and it's utterly silent until that barrier that. goes up. Um, I love that. So uh, yeah, I mean, I think technically, the hardest scene for me um, to feel like I, you know, to, to, to sit there and go through it was um, when she, the, the, it's the last scene of the first episode, actually, when she when she meets the, the creatures of darkness for the first time, when you have to hear them approaching. I struggled so hard on, you know, the wings and like like how I wanted those things to sound without them sounding cartoony because she's in space. Like there is some level of sound in space because it's audio, but I didn't want it to be like, there's these giant flapping wings and it's super cartoony. I didn't, I didn't want that. So that was, I think the hardest one for me. Um, that and, and her destroying them in episode two was also technically very difficult. Cool. What about uh, you other directors there? Did you guys have any, any questions or, or comments you wanted your head for cat or what have you? Um, for me, I think the, uh, the first scene that we're talking about um when he when she's talking to um was it that that captain or general or whoever he was uh, um was 
one of the most, I feel like immersive because you did feel like you were in space, like you were just talking about. Um, because yeah, space doesn't technically have a sound, but you did that perfectly and you definitely knew that that's what was going on. Um, and the ambience was perfect. The filters for her helmet or um, what have you was, was perfect. And um, I, I just want to applaud you for, uh, for immersing <laughs> us into that, into that universe. Well, thank you very much. That was a lot of fun. Hey. I also got a real like uh, Captain Marvel and uh, Genesis Avalon kind of vibe from the whole from the whole arc of the story, um, and um, I don't know I don't know if Jeffrey that's what you were aiming for, but that's definitely what I got as far as her her powers and where what she was like um, um, derived from. I I don't know what your your background is there, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I think that the one of the reasons I loved about it, and honestly, the, the the fact that Jeff and Susan even sparked to that particular story, I thought it was a little bit of an odd story because it depends on a backstory that mm -hmm. I'm the only one who knows what it is. And uh, I was going for like that old school Jack Kirby, like this is the last of one of those Jack Kirby worlds. And it's a difficult thing to get across, period. So to be able to get it across with just mm -hmm. audio, you know, Hats off, baby. <laughs> but um, now that you say it, I definitely hear it. Yeah, with, the, with get the you know, curry flares going when the yep. they're firing at her or whatever. Yeah, exactly. I get that. Yeah, and if you got pictures in your head now, all you'll see is Jack Kirby art. <laughs> <laughs> and that's okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, this predates the current version sure, of Captain right. Marvel, I think. But but yes, that same sort of this is a cosmic story about a cosmic being. And like, so it goes back to that old, all those old Silver Surfer com cart uh, comic books and, and uh, the Captain Marvel, the current movie, if Guardians of the Galaxy was less funny, right. it would be more like that, you know, like it's just, it was big, but it had, it was like, like, uh, how do you say it, it was kind of like the, a genie trapped in a bottle, right? That was the vibe I was going for. Um, this poor creature all by herself, still trying to do the good thing. And uh, I mean, I... I wrote the damn thing and you guys were breaking my heart with this, this episode. Like I was listening to it like an audience member going, Oh, that's terrifying. Oh dear God. You know? And I know exactly what the hell's happening next. Woohoo! I did my job. Yeah. You absolutely, you did more than your job. I mean, we, <laughs> this is, this was really good, good all around and realizing that aspect of it with so, such, with so few tools to do that with. You know, I, I applaud all of you guys for that because each one of these stories has difficulties. Uh, the the ones that you're talking about have to do with scope, right? Like, how do we convey that with no mm -hmm. visual cues? And you did yeah. it, so you know, clap, clap. Definitely, well done. You know, you made a point there that honestly, this is the theme with all of these stories that we're going to talk about. But uh, the fact that basically every character in this show has a backstory that only you know. Mm -hmm. and the show doesn't really delve into. Mm -hmm. I really like that. That level of ambiguity is really honestly what carries a lot of the intrigue in these stories where you've got a character and you can follow their arc, but all these things about them that you don't know is partly what makes them interesting in the first place. I agree. I agree. And I think, like I mean, like I said, my participation is largely going to be patting you guys on the back all the time, but part of the fun of these things is... The audience gets to fill in so many blanks, so why not fill those blanks in too, right? Like, mm -hmm. do we need to know the details of who her boyfriend was before all the other gods left? 
Do we care? Does it matter? We, we can assume she may have been married before. She may have had more than one love partner in life. Maybe they were same gender. Maybe they don't even have gender. She's not being, you know, a goddess for us. Uh, but none of that matters because all it really does matter is the relationships we have in front of us. And you can, you see who the person is by how we bring it out. And it's one thing to do it with just words on a page. It's another thing to do when you add in, when you add in actors, obviously. But I, in some ways, well, no, exactly the same, but also differently with audio. The director is also shaping these things. Like you, you, we're being told how to feel about moments. You know, when you do it poorly, everybody goes, oh, that's so manipulative. When you do it right, you're like just weeping all over your freaking computer. So, that's exactly. <laughs> you know, so you did it well because I was bawling. <laughs> I was like, poor Twilight. It's so sad. What is well, and, I mean, so so you mentioned, you, you know, you mentioned the actors, too. But I also just I have to I have to say that um, Darian is is a dream to work with. And I've I've wanted to direct her for a very long time. And so this was awesome to get to direct her. And she just I mean, she conveyed such weight. Yep. As Twilight. And, and yep. at the same time could brighten the room as Twilight if she needed to. And it was just amazing to work with her. Um, and that last scene with her and 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 Frigate talking is Farragut talking is one of the one of I think the the most charming bits of conversation I've ever had the pleasure to direct because so much gets conveyed. You see the blossoming of this friendship and mm -hmm. you see him kind of looking at her and going, you know what? It's fine. I don't have to know everything about you. All that matters is you're here now. And right. you've let me into this part of your life. And I want to try to get to know that person. And that to me was like, like just like the perfect cherry on the top to end that story. Aww. And so it was just so good. I loved I, that last scene was so pleasant to direct and like the little exchange of them you know having a beer together like yeah. i i had too much fun trying to time where the beer sounds were because i wanted it to sound <laughs> organic but i mean that's just how i am like jeffrey and i were talking about like when i was making the sounds in the jungle and i was like there were footsteps and he was like you have people's feet moving what and i was like yeah dude they're in the they're in the forest they're yeah. shifting their weight. Like, I love yeah. little things like that. So, I, Well, with speaking of little things, one of the things I really like, which I don't think could be conveyed in the short story, I don't think I ever wrote what her expression was on her face in that short story, but there were periods of, there were moments in the episode where you could, you could tell the actress has had a, one of those little like, oh, that's adorable, grins on her face. When dealing, you can yeah. hear, you can hear right. the little smiles. Yes. Yeah, whenever yes. she was dealing with the people that were obviously considerably lesser being for her, and they would say something charming or, oh, that's what a child would say. You know, uh, you could hear in the actress's voice that smile. And I presume that wasn't accidental because it happened consistently. Uh, I, it made me smile. Like, I was on the same emotional journey, I guess. And I think that comes from the direction. As much as from the performance, they have to know where they're going. And then you have to shape it at the end so it takes us where you wanted us to go. Uh, and I just like all that. All that nuance was stuff that made it a real treat for me to kind of come at it cleanly like an audience member rather than, okay, let me look at this for mistakes and did they realize my grand vision because I'm a genius. Um, it wasn't like that at all. It was like radio time in 1935 listening to this awesome story. So, you know, again, clap, clap. That, that's awesome. I mean, that's just, that's awesome. so awesome to hear. Like, I'm kind of speechless. So 
I'm just gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna let it go from there. But no, I mean, this was an absolute pleasure, and I, you know, I, I can't get over how much I enjoyed working on on this on this story. And what Jeffrey said to me, he was like, "Look, it's a superhero, but it's not what you think." And I read through <laughs> it, and I was like, "I'm there. I'm sold. Let's get started." <laughs> <laughs> well, just awesome. to. Uh... To sort of uh, wrap up the discussion on, on Twilight here, I'll just say, going back to that last scene, that one really little thing that I liked in there is that at the very end, it's Farragut who makes Twilight feel a little better. So even though she's so much above us and she's so much more than humans mm -hmm. can ever be, we still have a little bit that we can offer her that, you mm -hmm. know, it's a bit of a... What's the word I'm looking for? It's um, you know, it's a relationship that goes back and forth. There's a word for it that I can't think of. I don't know. Reciprocation. Maybe, yeah. maybe, Fair but yeah, she she still get she can get actual friendship and value, you know, from us too. We still have things to offer her, and I thought that was a really nice uh, sort of note to end on. That he kind of reminds her that there's still hope, and everything has to have a beginning, and, and that's cool. It's difficult. So. It's difficult to write melancholy. Uh, yeah. I think it's really difficult in terms of when you're doing it when it's in fiction it's probably easier because you have more words and it's just words and the audio and the reader does a lot in their head as soon as you start turning it into any form of performance and that means even in terms of adapting it for performance that's just such a delicate note to try to hit and the fact that you guys just hit it just like like if i had a tuning fork it would just go bong you know like <laughs> perfect 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 putting that on my wall <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> All right. So then we will move on from there. And that brings us to the Daymora Tesseract, which was directed <laughs> by Mr. Dave Morgan. Yay! Yes. And the thing I want to ask Dave about first is that your first episode had almost no sci-fi of any kind in it. And it was almost like a straight 1930s setting. And for someone who directs Kingery, which is full of sci-fi everything, I mean, that must have been really, I mean, was it difficult to sort of switch to like, this has to sound like the real world? Yeah, a little bit. But, you know, at the same time, I had very comfortable voices I'm familiar with. I've worked with Pete for years now and Chris for years now. And since they're the main two carrying that episode, it was I had that nice little grounding. It's like, okay, I can deal with this. You know, I, I, at least familiar voices, even if it's not familiar setting. Um, but I mean, when I read the script the first time, I I knew kind of an idea how I wanted it to sound because I knew how to be very grounded. But as far as the music goes, especially, I felt like the music was going to be very important to this, getting that feel for it. Yeah, that's the thing I was going to mention is that more than any of the others, the music in this one really sets the time period because you it, it sounds like it's a, a 30s or 40s noir black and white movie, you know, with all Agreed. the sacks everywhere. So, yeah, agreed. <laughs> and once the technology stuff starts getting into it, then I start bringing in a little more of an electronica vibe to it, more 80s oh. techno kind of thing. It's just to kind of, you know, get that little bit of different feeling. But still, when we go back to the bar later, for example, we're back to that noir music going in the background. So just kind of find, finding the right music really helped me get my brain into gear for this, I think. Okay, that's cool. But also the um, and it's not just real world sound effects you had to use though, but you had to find like old sound effects because like it's not like sound right. Effect. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sound snap was very helpful for that. <laughs> I love like, the I find... telephones. The telephones were great. Yeah, I went through so <laughs> many sounds of phones. <laughs> Finding rotary phones that was like flashback to my childhood. <laughs> yeah, oh. I mean I was just there for hours, like phone, phone, phone. No, 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 no. Ah, there it is. Yay! Finally, that's the one. <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah the hardest part for me probably actually was the first five lines of the episode 
the, oh, the uh, slide space, the, the slide space stuff. Right. Oh, sure. I kind of had an idea how I, how that needed to sound, but at the same time, I had no clue how it was supposed to sound. So, right. As far as the voices go and the the music, and there's about there's a music there's a couple of music beds in there actually mixed together, and as well as just a generic computery sound effect underneath that works. And then for the voices. I stole a, a, a page from Cat's book, actually, of reversing the audio, putting an echo on it, then reversing it back, putting a different echo on it. Wow. To make it sound cool. kind of spacey and neat. Okay. Wow. That would never have guessed that in a billion years. I couldn't have saved my life with the answer to that question. I think with oh, the slide crap. space, too, which I'm not sure if a lot of the audience um, necessarily catches because it's really subtle. But not only does it appear in those those like first five lines or the first 10, 15, mm -hmm. 20, however many seconds right. of this thing, but it pops up again a few times later, like when Gray is starting to remember who he is. You could hear right. a yeah. little bit, but it's so subtle. So it's like if you haven't heard that, go back and check it out because it's so cool how you just you can kind of hear it in his head just, just barely underneath the surface yeah, yeah. Um, that was really so cool. yeah that, that was that was the most fun part and then i got to build a few other sounds like the disintegration sound effects were fun to build there's about <laughs> five or six different sounds in there uh i was gonna five. ask how do you make it sound like somebody's disintegrating into nothingness that's um, it must there, be a dream right it must be amazing <laughs> there's there's a water sound effect in there there's an explosion there's fire there's an e-cigarette in there actually <laughs> wow <laughs> that's amazing so I'm, I'm just mixing things up and just seeing what comes out, basically, and then cutting off the screens partway through. <laughs> One of the things that you did, which I thought was really lovely, uh, was the how the step disc jumps you from one side of the room to mm -hmm. the other, and you hear this voice all of a sudden, way on the far side of a right. room, which both shows you how far the, the jump was, but also how big the freaking room was you were in all Well, that's the thing where if you, you had to almost pan it way too far farther than you usually would left or right just to show clearly that they had moved so right, or right. sound like they were exactly. two feet away yeah. right yeah but i mean it ends up working really well especially in the final scene where where uh what's his butt gets away from from the dame um maxi gets away from the dame by going halfway yeah. across the room and yeah. then popping right back at the end i loved it i loved yeah. it and the 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 the, the noir vibe like it's not, I hit that so hard. I hit it like with a hammer in the book. So <laughs> like you actually probably pulled it back a little bit to make it palatable to human audience. <laughs> well, I remember see, an early version of the script didn't have the voiceover stuff. And I really think right. that that helped really nail down the vibe you wanted for that. Yeah, it's uh, not something we do a lot in a lot of scripts, but it, mm -hmm. it really fit the tone of this one mm -hmm. because those old noir movies always had that you know the the pi yeah. doing the voiceovers about the right. dame coming into his office and so it fit in perfectly and so we initially yeah we didn't think of putting that in but that was um uh something that mr jeff thorne thought you know what we that'll work here because yeah. our inclination is always to avoid voiceover like that yeah, or right. narration as much as possible but, as but it works right it doesn't yeah. usually fit but here it really did yeah this is yeah, the thing where i think call for it yeah. yeah it definitely did and i think too Remember, all these stories were written never to be performed by anyone. Mm -hmm. So in the adaptation, the, uh, the Bridges had to make, I thought, excellent choices in, in terms of how are we going to push a narrative forward when a good portion of these things is just, if you read the story, which I hope everyone who hears this goes and reads the stories, is um, it's just the narrator, the writer talking to the, talking to the reader. There's right. no one inside the story relating these these thoughts or these moments or anything. So in order to get those things across because they're necessary, you have to come up with some trick 
right. right? So some of that came from the narration, which I thought was great. And I'll, it, everything, like the music and just little weird little touches about the slide space stuff, all of those things come in from the, ad, uh, uh, the adaptation side. And they convey the story without sort of slavishly trying to do like a documentary. Of right. The like it's its own thing. It's not just a, it's not a copy of the story. It's an adaptation of the story, which is better mm -hmm. from my point of view. But one of the fun things about getting to do those voiceovers, which I, I think we mentioned back um, when we did the commentaries, but uh, that we got to actually, because the voiceovers are more stylistic and it's not actual dialogue that he's speaking to someone, they got to keep more of your original text um, in right. some of his, you know, flowery descriptions and stuff. And I really like that we got to just yeah. sort of pull some of those and plug them right in there. Yeah. And that one, it worked too. Like for that particular piece, uh, it all of that serves a set tone. So you guys are really good about sort of surgically removing things that were too much and keeping just enough. I thought that was good. And it also gave us a lot more chance to showcase the, the soundtrack on this to just yeah. add to that feel. Like yeah. even when they're filling the space when they're driving or the set helps set the scene at the very beginning where we see the beach at the beginning and then it goes to the office and then closes. So Yeah, I love the beach stuff. I love all of that stuff. That all the, in that one, the ambient noise, I thought, like, you guys started off in the conversation, which, but the, the, was, that's one of those stories where the reality of the setting mm -hmm. has to really be firm, right? right? And I just, like, I could feel the breeze. I could smell the salt. I was, like, I was in it. So, Yay. Yeah, man. Hey. Yeah, the details were perfect. The, the subtle, you know, the background uh, footsteps of... Somebody is searching for something um, when when Gray is talking to uh, Dyson was uh, was great. Uh, right, who, who, it was uh, that was Chris's character, right? Uh, yes, she was. Yes, she was looking in the background, and um, Gray was talking to that person. I I don't know. I just got I got lost in that scene because of the the details because I was listening to you know the conversation, but I was also listening to what was going on in the background, um, which I thought was super well done. Thank you. And it, and it continued throughout the whole arc, which is, which is super impressive. A very immersive, again, a very immersive uh, um, job. I also wanted to mention that um, I think that Pete did uh, an amazing job being, sounding exactly like you would expect a 30s or 40s. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, sound. <laughs> but I was, extra, I was extra especially <laughs> blown away by the job that Kristen did as the dame mm -hmm. because she had to, she splits sort of, you know, because she's faking right. the, the whole dame persona at the beginning, and then she sort of fakes that she's waking up from it, and then you get this harder edge to her voice, this harder tone, and it's like, to do that in a performance as an actor is like, it blows my mind, because it's yeah, not it something... Great yeah, transformation. I, I loved it right? when I heard it the first time. I was like, oh, Super this is awesome. good. I like this. She, she totally killed it. Yeah. <laughs> I loved it. Uh, how hard was it, though? How many times did you have to go through it to get the right... Um... Like, was that, was that something that she nailed, like, right off the top, or is it something you guys had to work to achieve? Well, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, she, in the, we always just, they send us the lines, and um, I didn't have to get any retakes on that. I, she just nailed it the first time that I got. I don't know how many takes she did before trying to get it. But, right. You know. We love that story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it took me, I'll be honest, it took me a little while to get started going on this, but once I really got into it and started really getting the feel for it, I was just like, boom, 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 boom. Yeah, I'm getting this. I'm feeling it. Let's go. Let's do this. <laughs> <laughs>
Did anyone have uh, any other uh, things they wanted to uh, ask or discuss about this one before we move on? Uh, yeah. So, um, first of all, uh, thank you for uh, using my old trick of the of the reverse. And that was, that was awesome to hear that somebody cool. Um, but uh, one of the things I just wanted to say was uh, so so you mentioned how like everything's so detail driven in this, and it, it really is. It's just everything is like it's such a rich. Um, atmosphere um and i i just wanted to say so i one of the things that really struck me about this was that you know you really go into it and it's hard-boiled film noir to the point where in my head it's in black and white <laughs> yes. until he starts realizing he is in he you know that he is not from the actual 1930s at which mm -hmm. point it kind of turns into this blade runner-esque yeah. sort okay. of colorscape for me and I just thought that was like for me that that's I, I love picturing audio. I mean that's that's what how how it works. But like um, I just wanted to like say that that I thought that was cool was that the tonal shift is subtle, but it's like having it, it's it's like adding richness to it. It was like you switched uh, a hue control, and all of a sudden everything went from black and white to full color. Um, and I just that to Wizard me that Oz, was so when cool. Dorothy opens the door into Oz and it's all it switches over. It, yeah, exactly. It was it was it was just I, I it's one of the things I really loved about this was that and it, at no point did it ever feel like a hard mm. switch. It just felt like oh, it always should have been that way. Um, it just but, slowly but, you know, fades in. Yeah, it was just it was really awesome, and I absolutely loved every second of it. Um, my other question for you, and this is, I, this might be cheating, but I'm going to ask it anyway. <laughs> so, so, I mean, you direct, you direct Pete and Chris as Tommy and Cassandra on Kingery mm -hmm. and they have a, a contentious sibling relationship. Yes. What was it like directing them in this very film noir sort of, she's the day, you know, she's got, she's got, you know, the, the, the gams that go on forever and, and he's the hard-boiled detective and he can't keep his eyes off her. Like, how did you, how did you, like, did you have fun with that push-pull? Was it different? How was it? It was different, but it's partially because neither one is quite using the same voice they do for the Kingery. Uh, uh, mm -hmm. Tommy has a lot gruffer voice and he's, you know, talking like this most of the time. And then uh, Chris has, has a Southern slash Brooklyn accent that she uses, whereas in this, there's none of that. <laughs> Um, and so it's, it, it, it was, it's like the voices are familiar enough that I feel comfortable here, but they're just different enough that it never, the, the, the relationship never really, really, uh, came into my head. Once we started getting into this, I really started mixing it. Cool. I was just, I really was curious cause I always love it when you work with actors, in different capacities. So, um, that's always my, always my question. Yeah. I think ever, I think almost everybody on this show I've worked with at least once i don't know if i've worked with marty or jesse yet but they're the only ones i think was that true of all the episodes what do you mean exactly uh did you were there a lot of people who had come over from pendant audios sort of stable of players or were there a lot oh, yeah. of new faces for you guys no this one um because we couldn't put the uh casting call up because you know we didn't want to announce the show early so we went right with, uh, actors right. who were all from our other so yeah these are all people that we've worked with before even and everybody even i was at least familiar with stuff they'd done even if i hadn't personally right. directed even them. Right. they hadn't directed them they we yeah. all know each other so it's kind of like you had a, a stealth industry going on that you could pull the stars out of that's <laughs> funny well it, it helped that we we got people that were for the most part reliable 
on this, right. I think. Because, you know, there's there's some people that, you know, are really good, but you know, sometimes you have to really push them to get their lines in or you right. know, may have to nudge them a bit more on performances. When I saw the cast list for this, I, I knew these were all people that would that would just blow it out of the water as far as their performance goes. Kudos, producers. Look at you, yes. you executive producers. How dare you? We, we, the hell know. <laughs> we know what you all are like. So. <laughs> not, not these people. They're all fine. No. Okay. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're the good ones. We're the good kids. We're watching. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, moving on then, that brings us to uh, Redshift, which was uh, the first episode of which was directed by Landon Bell. And then Kat stepped in to help us out and finished the second episode. And Yay! so, uh, so let's talk about the first one first. Let's talk about the first one uh, with Landon, yes. who set the tone and the feel and everything, which, you know, Kat then um, sort of kept continuity with. Right. So, um, Landon, how do you set about deciding what Dracula in space sounds like? <laughs> <laughs> well, I had, I had an interesting journey with this because I started developing my my take on Redshift like like a year and a half ago almost. Right. Right. (laughs) So I read the book over two years ago at this point and that had nothing to do with this production. You were just reading it. No. Yeah. I was just reading. I just bought the book because I follow Jeffrey. Thank you. Well, I love your stuff. So you're You're just goofy. (laughs) I I am a little bit. He is. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I read Dreamnasium and I got to Red Shift and I didn't see the twist coming. Well, that that could be a double entendre. But anyways, um, uh-huh. <laughs> um, I, did, I didn't see it coming. And when I got to, I got, got pretty close to the third act. And I was like, I think I know what's happening. And then it turns into a Dracula story. And I'm like, Gosh, this is incredible. It's a it's a mystery, but it's Dracula story, and I I love the character of Amina. I thought she was badass, and I thought I love Amina. Yeah, she's like the perfect femme fatale. For this type I, of story. That was the character that you know is going to die by the end of the story, and all the way through it, you're like, oh man, no. <laughs> yeah, but she gets her revenge, which she's, is she's a winner. So amazing. Yes, yes, she is. <laughs> But I fell in love with with all three of the mains. Um, and so at, at the time that I read it, I tweeted Jeffrey and I was like, hey, um, so I love Redshift. And if if there's ever a movie adaptation, I want to direct it. And for real. And and think it was long before we had ever discussed even making this uh, uh, that is an true. audio drama production. Yeah. That so. is very true. Like yeah. there was no sense of that this would the idea that this would ever be done this way really was never on the horizon until almost right before we decided to do it. Like, yeah, this was long, long before. And so flash forward, like maybe six months and I say something about it again. And Jeffrey Bridges comments with like an eye eyeball sideways or something. Like, like be quiet. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> you know that I don't know. And so I message him an email and he's like, yeah, we're doing a dreamnasium show and we know we want you to direct red shift. Okay. I'm <laughs> my arm. So like a couple months later, he sends me the rough draft of the first script and I'm reading it and I'm like, yes, I'm down for this. So I bought a little journal from Walmart that looks like a couple of rusty iron sheets. 
and inside it i was drawing up the scenes, and and i took the scenes from the script and i was drawing them all up how one of the sound effects to go how the scenes to be placed like i was into this like i knew how i wanted the actors to sound everything well then wow. we flash forward to yeah so we flash forward to production and um a few things changed during production so i'm like okay change course a little bit so i get into production and I start changing course well around that time uh like life was getting to be a crunch so i wound up <laughs> i wound up directing my episode getting about three hours of sleep at night oh my god uh, yeah, yeah that's I not good we can, that's not good no this is why this is why we need to cat step. but i got the first episode done and what i loved most about doing this show getting big is that the vibe is like i don't really know how to describe it except for sci-fi god <laughs> which is accurate to what it is but uh you've got characters like minsky and geo who they talk in these very strange ways that are they're very foreign they're not really of earth and, Cinda's voice and lines were very um, out there. Yeah, Cinda as well. And and so I like how the the characters themselves add to the atmosphere of, of this is this is of a different time in the future. It's not really of Earth. And I, I love the graveyard scene where where they go out <laughs> to the graveyard and they're they're talking about like, you know, the heck, why are we doing this? <laughs> and well, I have a question. Whole, um, yeah. you had like a stack of different environments like uh you're not just inside a spaceship you're not just inside you know the graveyard's a graveyard but it's a graveyard on mars like like was that daunting in any way or was that just like par for the course like a location is a location um it's par for the course in one way so of course i did the pendant shakespeare for uh quite a few years and we Basically, for every play, we were doing different, uh, different like scenarios for each play. So, like we did Othello in space, yeah, Romeo and Juliet as a sitcom. Did um, what? Which one did we do? Twelfth uh, Night. We did that in the Roaring Twenty. So, I'm no stranger to like like different scenario places and locales, uh, and so really the only hard one was the scene in Amina's tower sure. where I, I knew what I wanted the field. to be. I kind of wanted the field to be someone in a big room, big computer room with the mainframe, big screen up on the wall. Mm -hmm. And then it, the computer's so large that it's got to take these big fans to cool it down. Mm -hmm. Like, like that's, that's the vibe I want. And I think I achieved it. It, it, it took a few tries though. Cause the first time, I made a pass, and I don't think Barbara Dylan played the computer for us. She was excellent, <laughs> but the the way the the voice effect came across it sounded like it was too gravelly, almost like it was coming from a little talk box. Hmm. I had to adjust that so it sounded like wider and bigger. It's very hmm. interesting you bring that up because one of the things I was going to mention that I liked that you did in this episode, uh, one of my favorite things you did was that the filter on the computer voice is not what you would typically think of for a filter mm. for a computer voice. It doesn't sound like it's coming out of a speaker. It doesn't sound extra robotic. Right. 
but it's still a really good feature. Like, you know, the from the filter, you're like, oh, this is the little computer thing talking to her. And I just wanted to, I was wondering, I mean, I guess if you tried other ways and it, it didn't sound right, that must have been what led you over to that sort of unconventional, I guess, like filter for the computer voice. Well, I knew all along I didn't want it to be, like, obviously it's got to sound human, but I didn't want it to sound like it was coming out of your computer speakers. I wanted it to sound like it was almost coming out of the hardware itself, just buzzing around there and this voice sure um and i I think that the what we nailed on really really hit on that and when cat picked up on the second episode she hit the same tone really well did you guys not have notes between each other you just had to listen to it cat and figure out how to do it yourself um for that specific computer mod i actually listened to the episode and then immediately emailed jeffrey and went i need landon's notes now <laughs> um, <laughs> there was nowhere yeah. to be able to do it myself um because okay. he he really did use a very unique combination of things that right. i never would have thought to put together for a computer mod so it was really cool nice. but um nice. yeah I, I cheated i got to look at the notes in class before the <laughs> test <laughs> no no hey that's not a test. That's what you're supposed to do. Working <laughs> together oh to make God. a cohesive thing for the audience. You yeah. know, you want it. Yeah. You want to keep yeah. it the same. We're all in this together. That's what we're supposed to do. Oh right. man. Yeah, she, Kat did a wonderful job with picking up the reins there. And um, another thing that I loved is the whole scene with like April and how how you kind of got to to get this idea of police station in the future but i didn't want yeah. it to sound like a police station yeah like i felt like that, that would be really cliche and so i tried to like i think if i remember correctly there's like a water fountain in one <laughs> section yeah I, I mean i wanted it to sound more like a hospital and less like a police station that makes sense uh, i have to say also uh take your hat off to the the bridges because in the story uh, there's no real police station. It's like almost like a police cubicle, right? Oh, Solano <laughs> is like in orbit or something. She never even directly interacts with Elzin except via Comlink. Uh, so that entire setting came out of the bridge's head. Like the fact that the two of them are actual partners instead of one's just a voice talking to the other, all that came from the bridges. So you guys worked in tandem to create a setting and a, and a vibe that fits the tone of the story, but did not come out of the story. It's great. Right. One of the things that we had to do for this one, especially more than the others, is that the original story for this is nonlinear. And right. there was not going to be a way to make that work without having like an announcer break in and say two days later and then three <laughs> days before and what have yeah. you. And so what we had to do was compress the timeline so that everything happens in one night right. instead of over multiple that days. Was really important. And right. then we put it right. all in a linear order. And so when you do things like that, then I think that's sort of where that scene with Elzin and Osolano together, like having their little, oh, we're getting coffee, we're checking the snitch board, we're bantering yeah. back and forth with our buddies. Uh, I think that's sort of where that came from. It's just sort of the, the setup for everything because Elzin kind of has a, a bit of a bigger role in this than she does in the original story too. She's sort of elevated, played by wonderful Cat Pride. Who's yeah. here with the Nice work, um, sis. Nice work. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I think also the compression, it adds drama. It adds more. Oh, know, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it puts a clock it adds, on it. Right. It puts a clock right. on it. One of those writing things they're always telling you to do. Everybody, mm -hmm. everybody's always liked that story, and I try. I've tried different versions of audio of it, uh, and they've all been satisfying in some way. 
but this was the one that fired on all cylinders. Like I got visual, I got pictures in my head, which did not exist when I wrote it. Like listening to it made me go, oh yeah, this is how you would shoot that. And I would, oh, I can stage it that way. Like none of that was in my mind when I was writing it. Uh, this story, like other people have pulled that out. You guys pulled that stuff out, but I didn't. I, I couldn't until I heard what you guys did with it. Yeah, my thing, I think my favorite sound effect in the whole episode that I did, uh, well, there's two. The, the one at the very end with Kat's character is, is arming tube? The, uh, the stunner. Yeah, yeah. the tube. Yeah, the, I love tube the whole tube says uh, little, it's a tiny little scene, but it sounds really cool. Yeah. I love that. was actually the first scene I ever directed. This I show. The, I did the. <laughs> Well, yeah. yeah Wait, what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, the first scene I directed for this thing, yeah, that came out weird. But <laughs> I, I did the smallest scene first, then I took the the larger ones up. Oh, okay. And Interesting. So that was my favorite. Second favorite was the one at Brizzo's, where uh, Chris's character is talking to um, Shane's character, um, Amina, um, and the. She's doing like the playback of of yeah. the whole recording at, at yeah, yeah. Baldwin's rest, and I managed to get this filter on the voices that sounded pre-recorded, but like a little bit sped up and crackly. Yeah, and I really loved that. I really, yeah, you know, yeah. I I kind of went ham on the sound effects because I really wanted it to sound like Red was really kind of a bloody monster. Yeah, yeah the uh, yeah, he is my. Uh, favorite, I think, sound effect bit that you did uh, in that first part was the um, the little laser thing that marks the circle of their arena. The whole way it panned around and oh, yeah, wow. was fired up. It was really cool. Yeah. If only the the pencil drawing I did was cool as as it sounded because <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a good artist, but I sure did do my stick figure version of of what that. No, uh, it was delightful. I I loved it. I loved it. My my favorite part of the uh, the second episode that Cat did is the whole end sequence where the shutters come down and Red's mm-hmm. banging on the door and he's freaking the hef- the hell out and then he burns up and that whole section just the sound work in there was just magnificent. Yep. 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 The 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 shutters were a lot of fun to do. Uh, I like because when I when I you know I mean I'm I'm doing crunch obviously so I I don't you know I don't know what Landon had planned so I hope I did a good job but. Uh, but, um, you know, the uh, hearing, kind of reading the, that part of the script, I was like, you know, I love it when I get to play with pan, with panning back and forth. And I always mix in headphones. And I was like, nothing could be creepier to me than for you to <laughs> feel how scared Red is about to freaking be. And so I was like, all right, time to shut all the shutters around you. So, yeah, it's, uh, that was a lot of fun to direct. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I feel like, and I can't say this about any any other thing that I've I've directed that somebody else picked up on. Cat picked up that episode and ran with it. And if you didn't know that someone else directed it, you would think that I did. Yeah, I was surprised when I it, found that out. That that, that was, was that was my shot. goal. I I didn't want it to feel like I had taken over and 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 did something totally different. Like I mean, I I requested all of your soundscapes, all of your effects, and I tried to do it as close to what that first episode sounded like as I could. Well, what you did was you saved my butt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a single it's a single piece. Like if you didn't have your name on that those credits, it would never it would have never crossed my mind, certainly. Cat that's is my Ron happened. Howard. Wow. <laughs> <You didn't stop. laughs> that was a deep dive. Deep dive. 
It really was. <laughs> but no, uh, the 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 only I would say the only scene in hers that was I think different than the way I would have done it is the very first one with the robot at the castle. Mm, like the hologram. Yeah. 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 yeah, it was it was very like Las Vegasy, and um, I I liked that. Like that's not what I pictured in my head, but I think it worked huh. better. It worked better for the whole arena thing once you got in there and they were doing because in my head I was thinking like really small and intimate, but at the same time, it's called the freaking castle. So... Yeah, that's that's what I thought you guys were going with, is that because it's named yeah. Castle, you picture this sort of giant entertainment complex. And that's the vibe I got from listening. Like... Yeah. And I think that Cat taking it that direction actually made it better than that particular scene would have been if I had done it. Well, you know. Wow. I, like I mean, <laughs> I will say this: I it's like a twelve hologram scene. So. Yeah. Oh yeah, the hologram's awesome. Like. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I made sure to pick the most like like because like Philip Weber gave like three different sets of takes, and I made sure to pick like the most sycophantic one he did, and it was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can thank the bridges for that character too. He does not exist in that form in the uh, in the story. That was a bridges creation. Uh, they did a great job. coming from He's us. Outrageous. Who yeah. <laughs> but before we get outrageous. too far, too, I want to mention how amazing was Joe J. Thomas as Red? Okay. Right. Oh, oh yeah. my god. god. Yeah. That guy's like, a murderer. Holy crap. Yeah, <laughs> but like, I, I like, would have let him eat cookies in my bed, guys. Like, you oh. know, like <laughs> I, I had to fan I've myself directing. <laughs> <laughs> he was fantastic. Ugh, I loved yeah, it. Absolutely amazing. My only my only thing was too in the story I'm able to conceal who he is for longer because you can't hear him talk. Right. But right. I was always worried as soon as you hear him talk, you're like, well, right, well how soon will that give it away? But right. I was really taken by the fact that it doesn't matter. Right? that if you figure out he's Dracula earlier than I wanted you to in the story, it didn't hurt the story even a little bit. It, like it's it just added Amina. to the tension. Like, right. Yeah. You know? It's about so, Yeah. And also, it's a compressed storyline anyway. So, like, none of those things were in my head when I'm listening, by the way. I was just like, who's this gorgeous voice? Jesus Christ. But um, uh, in terms of just simple construction, I stepping back from it, it did concern me, and it didn't concern me. It was that like... Was yeah that was one of those things where because i had been developing the way i wanted to direct it for so long i had in my head that i wanted him to sound not like distinctly not european i wanted him to sound like almost a creole of a bunch of different dialects mm -hmm. and and styles because mm -hmm. he's so old and ancient right yeah and so i'm sure he's traveled the world he's, he's probably been to every continent at some point oh sure right yeah. i mean we figure this is 300 years from now and he's 300 years old if it was taking place now. So yeah. that's 600 years of listening to other people talk and trying to sound like them and blend in. Yeah. There's he a there's a, a specific line he has that kind of just sticks with me every time. But in the scene where he's talking to Amina and she's trying to try to tell him that she wants to live, 
she says to him, I'm dying. And he see and the way Joe said it, read it was just fantastic. Cause he just kind of sits back in his chair and just goes, everything alive is dying. Child. <laughs> and I'm like, good Lord, man, I need to pick my job off the floor. Thanks. <laughs> no, it was great. It, he's a luxurious Dracula, right? He's a Dracula. Yeah. He's, he's always coming out of the shower and reaching for a towel. That's the Dracula <laughs> that we got. <laughs> right. That's, that's the Dracula we got. Ah, yeah. he was awesome. Fantastic. Yeah, he's good. But my my point to what I was fixing to say is that I think Jeffrey's correct because um even though I had that in my head and even though like there's still like a version in my head where it would have sounded different, um having that voice from the get-go kind of lets the audience lead into it a little bit sooner like by the time you get to the Baldwin's rest scene and then the Brizzo scene, you totally know he's Dracula. Yeah. But that's okay because going into the second episode, you have no idea, like if you've never read the book, you have no idea what um, Elzen is fixing to get herself into. Right. And she, and now you're scared because you know something the characters in the story don't know. Yeah. And it's like, oh, you think you're going to shoot this guy? Ha 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 ha. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Right. So, yeah. 100% accurate. And uh, so that aspect of it, because again, like the, these these were originally all one tale. They weren't split into two episodes. Because they right. were episodic, there's these little ticks that you can add that like help carry it along and make it a longer story than just, you know, an and filled up. Movie or something. I never got the sense on any of these so far, and, and not in the, the last one we'll discuss either, uh, that... Nobody was vamping. I never felt like any moment of this had filler in it or like you stretched out a musical section. So, okay, we needed like another five minutes. Let's add, let's add a minute here. There was no vibe like that. It just went at the pace it needed to go at. It was great. Mm-hmm. No, totally agree. And um, honestly, like the fact that we can talk this much about this, these two episodes, like just so tells crazy. you how, how meaty it is and why I fell in love in the first place. Well, it's had a life. Let's hope it has another life. It really, uh, it really has. It's great. Before we move on to our last story, does anyone have any uh, last questions or anything they'd like to mention about it? Do Landon or Cat or what I like you? the po- I like the poetry duel. That that was a nice twist on normal dueling. That was kind of a fun little moment there. Perry did a great job there with the uh, snootiness of it <laughs> as well. I, I yes. enjoyed that part. Yeah, he had a lot of fun with that, you could tell. Um, I liked whenever the uh, the Magres uh, vision was activated or whatever you know they were trying to look at was activated. You could actually, like we were talking about earlier, you could actually see the colors and uh, whatever was going on. And um, when the Magres version, vision was turned on, I saw... Right, right. Ripped. Yeah, when she was putting the tracker on him yes. and following him yeah. around. That was surprisingly right. hard to do for what was supposed to be a simple filter. I think I played with like eight presets before I figured right. out. Right, well, but wanted. it was perfect. It, it worked really well because I could. Uh, I was driving in my car and I was listening to the episode, and everything turned red, and I was like, "What the hell?" And then I realized I was just listening to something. I'm just. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I liked how it sounded, kind of like a hot light coming on. Just <clears throat> that was good. All right, well, then we will move on to our final story, which was Antiope in Black, directed by Paul. And uh, the thing I think, um, I, 
I don't know if it gave you the most difficulty, Paul, uh, but it was definitely the first thing I think you did because you sent it to us to check was the uh, the really weird vocal mod mm -hmm. that you put on Meldrick, who was a giant <laughs> talking mm -hmm. bug. And that's not what <laughs> I would imagine. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that was, was really fun. Um, I actually learned something from there uh, that I applied to a lot of the sound effects in the rest of the episode, uh, which was um, using a vocoder. Um, so I, I took Philip's, uh, Philip Weber's voice. I uh, translated it into, uh, so there was a lot of sounds actually. So there was a, I think it was a, either a cicada or a beetle wing. Um, and so every time that his voice uh, would peak, that other sound, the beetle sound or whatever I was using would peak as well in, in place of the voice. Oh. And then I would layer those um, with Philip Weber's actual voice uh, to make it sound like when he was talking, uh, there was like something, uh, you know, going along with his mouth uh, kind of as a set... Second language is is a is a is a not the word I would use, but that's the only word that comes to mind. Like a second language that he's saying at the same time. Um, uh, another uh, sound effect that I was using was uh, a ratchet, like a uh, one of the one when, when it clicks back when it's going that. Uh, I'm gonna wow. I'm, I'm gonna oh, do it. I'm gonna go. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, so I yeah, used yeah, yeah. that as well um, with the the beetle wings. So, bunch of layers there. Super fun. Turned out really cool too. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> was it really it, hard Meldrick to like, yeah. I love Meldrick. Apply that to every Meldrick. one of his lines. Did you did you get to it like where it could be automated and you could just sort of layer it over? Did you have yeah. to do it manually? For no, I had a lines? formula that I would use for all of his. Well, for each track, so it would be a underlying. So I would duplicate his lines and I would mix it down to a single track. So his all of his lines were in one file. And then I would translate that into, you know, the the beetle or the ratchet, and layer those. That's wild, man. It sounded amazing. Yeah, yeah, I had fun with that one for sure. It slams you into that world yeah. real fast, too. Mm -hmm. Right, and it gives oh, you a visual God. for the character of Meldrick as well. Oh yeah. And then you had the other thing, um, which was one of the most sort of audio oriented things that appeared in any of the story which was the the creatures that appear in the hollow that mm -hmm. flint has to fight um because yeah. in the book you describe their footsteps as sounding like rocks skittering mm -hmm. and that is a very specific audible sound and so right. um but i know you mixed a bunch of other stuff in with those didn't you Paul? yeah and i again i used the vocoder for uh so i got a a sound of um um, a horse race uh, going by, uh, so I used that as the base, and then I took um, actually um, some rocks falling down like the side of a cliff or something, and I would layer that in with mm -hmm. the uh, the sound of the horse galloping uh, to make that kind of uh, as the, each as each hoof is hitting the ground, it's also making this rocky uh, noise to come along with it. Yeah, that's cool. Wow. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Then how do you... Um, she's also got this incredibly unique <laughs> weapon that you've never seen <laughs> right. and know nothing about. How do you decide what uh, that sounds like? Well, <laughs> um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plug the, uh, the old vocoder again because... <laughs> <laughs> wow. Because 
you're on the payroll <laughs> because I uh, I actually did the whip sound uh, just by whistling into the mic. Um, yeah, no. so I whistled into the mic like a, <laughs> uh, and that was the sound of it moving in the air. And then I I made a um, um, kind of a tone uh, to go underneath that. So it was like a humming kind of almost a lightsabery kind of uh, tone to go under that. And then whenever she would move the whip and she would hit one of these creatures, it would it would make that sound. Oh, that's awesome. And um, I don't know. I mean, I, I love um, Ben Burt as a, a sound designer. And so I, I watch a lot of like what he does. And uh, I learned a lot from just watching little featurettes uh, from what he's been doing with Star Wars and, you know, all that stuff. And so... You know, I can say I, I can definitely credit Ben Burt for a lot of my uh, my inspiration for for stuff like that. Ben Burt is kind of the man, like, mm-hmm. and the way that he does stuff, like it, it kind of gives you a completely new perspective on on things you can to create. Right. I got to tell you, uh, from an audience point of view. The, the level the the level of layering and 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 putting together of disparate sounds to create an effect none of that mm-hmm. is visible right none of that is something that i would consciously go oh i can lift that out or whatever but now looking back on it or mm-hmm. listening back i guess uh you feel that these textures actually add to the weight of every moment mm-hmm. of every unique thing like the meldrick voice or the the how this tool mm-hmm. works or whatever uh the complexity of the sound is probably something your brain is not i'm not right. pulling it out as complex but real sounds are mm-hmm. that complex so to create a fake world you have to create really complex right. i guess audio imagery yeah and and uh for, for what yeah yeah, I mean it's yeah. amazing, and I think to me. I think the real the real thing for me as a, a sound designer is for you to not notice, but also notice. Yeah. Um. So when I'm when I'm, <laughs> well, <laughs> well, <laughs> well, but I, what I mean by that, that what I mean by sense. that is just like I want it to sound natural, and so I don't want it to pull it pull you out of what you're listening to. And try to figure out, you know, exactly what is what. Well, what sound was that? And you know, I want it to be, you know, sound natural. So when I when I was creating the the laser whip or whatever it's called, um, I, um, you know, I thought of it as a real thing. And so, and actually, the the sound of it retracting is uh, I got a tape measure and I I I pulled it out <laughs> and then I let it retract by itself, and that was the sound of that. Get away from me. That's awesome. <laughs> Foley is neat. Applause.bif. Uh, <laughs> it's a good point, though, because it's like, okay, I'm in a quiet room right now, but is it mm. really quiet? Exactly. I hear traffic going by, right. the computer's humming, the fridge is right. making mm-hmm. noises. Right. If you stop and think right. about it, cats are running around. There's, yeah. there's all these little things that are happening. Even Ambient though in noise. Your mind, yeah. You're like, whatever. Right. And this is the cool thing that, that our directors do is they put themselves in those they think about right, it right and think about all this stuff that brains. even i never would have you know it would have never even occurred mm. to me so i mean i that's, like that's too really cool. and it's something i always stress whenever we're whenever we're doing something on a tv show or something and uh l- younger people tend to always want to go to the computer mm. tool right uh 
uh, well, why don't we just buy some fire effects off of the internet and shove that in and add <laughs> some fire, right? Sure. Um, and a lot of the time, that's perfectly fine, more than just fine. A lot of the time, it's a fantastic choice. But I think they often overlook the mm. low-tech choice, like just whistling or, hey, well, it kind of works like a, 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 a tape measure. How does a tape measure sound when it retracts? Mm -hmm. Not bad. Right. Let's use that. Exactly. You know, uh, these these are real, what we, what, in the visual sense, they would be practical effects, right? right? That the, yeah. the actors can actually see and touch the thing that's supposedly right. doing whatever, as opposed to it's a big green lump or a, 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 a point on a wall. Go look at that in <laughs> the Hulk's face, you know? <laughs> um, and I always prefer it when the actors can actually see it in, right. a, in, a, uh, in a visual story because uh, it helps them act. It doesn't really work in this context, but for the audience point of view, it mm. absolutely adds that same texture of reality that we've been talking about throughout all of these pieces. This, I, I'm now I'm learning from this conversation that it must be that complexity mm. of sound, that sort of unknown layers of sound that I'm not conscious I'm hearing, but my brain right. is interpreting. That's right. fantastic. Well, I mean, I I love how all of us have different styles, and Paul, like, I think Paul, out of all of us, is probably the one who did the most of his own foley. Like, how much foley do you think he did for this whole two episodes? Uh, that you I mean, define foley because I I used my voice a lot. <laughs> uh, does that count? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> That counts. That counts. Absolutely, uh, that counts. What did you use well, your voice the, for? Well, uh, the the wit first of all, and then um, actually the uh, the background for the jungle uh, is one of the first things that I did, and I did <laughs> I did a lot of grunting and growling for the background of that. Um, <laughs> but so there's just, there's just like an army awesome. of Pauls out mm -hmm. in the forest. There, yeah. just I'm just crouching around. in the background in the dark, it. you know. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that um, is but so then awesome. I also voiced a lot of the the monsters that Flint actually fights in the in the end. So, <sighs> like the growls right. and yeah, snarls, I, mean, I, and I pitched it down. A I lot, love that, and I added some some mods to it. But I I did do the a lot of the voices for that. A lot of it's Panthers as well. But I just picture the walking is the best part. <laughs> I picture walking by your <laughs> office and just hearing these noises coming the, out. Like what's the going on in there? Is the, at the time, I was living above. Um, my landlord and uh i uh i was wondering what he was thinking when i was making those noises <laughs> while my daughter is sleeping in the next room you know oh my god she's gonna you're gonna be paid for that later <laughs> the nightmares of my teenage years are your fault dad right <laughs> what were you doing and that's not there? the first time I've, I've got myself into trouble like that because i did the same thing for <laughs> Uh, something we did for uh, for a seminar ages back when there was this character that didn't have a, an actor. And so I was like, oh, okay, I'll do that. But then it ended up being just a lot of... <laughs> That's awesome. It, it, Paul has a completely different level of dedication to this stuff. Than, like, <laughs> the, most, the most Foley I've ever done is I had to do a water gun recorded all the water gun sounds myself okay that, that's the most i've ever done for like any show and okay yeah, that's for like everything that um, actually that's now that funny. you mention a gun uh for the gun that was used um in the end i actually, I actually shot, shot, shot my neighbor, my neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> and now i'm in a lawsuit forever so it's <laughs> so 
It was for art. <laughs> Shut up. Uh, so I work in a coffee shop, and um, I I recently realized that one of the one of the um, it's called a back flush in the espresso machine is where you clean clean it out and stuff, and it makes a really loud noise, and it sounds hydraulic, and it sounds really cool. So I was like, I've got to record this. I don't know what I'm going to use it for yet, but I've got to record it, and so. I ended up using it uh, for when when he's charging up the gun uh, at the at the end there. Oh, um, nice. there's a lot of other uh, layered sounds in there, but the main like the backbone of it is that that charging up of the of the espresso machine doing its cleaning cycle. <laughs> That's hysterical. That is amazing. I love it. audio nerdery in its finest. So let me ask you guys this then. Um, when you're just moving through life, one, do you carry, aside from your phone or do you just use your phone, do you carry a recording device? Because the next part of the question is, do you just like constantly hear random sounds? You're like, mm -hmm. oh God, that'd be great. I can use that. That's me for sure. Yeah, I've done it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's wild. Uh, man. I did it one time when the snow had just fallen and the sound of the, the your feet on the snow was as pristine as I've ever heard snow in my life. So nice. I was like, I've got to record this. So I did, and I've still never used it, but like there, there are times. You, when you make these uh, audio dramas for a long time, it sort of changes the way mm -hmm. your brain works a little, and you start noticing the sounds around you a lot more often. I remember mm -hmm. there was this one time we were like at a park, and there was a bathroom, and it, it looked really creepy, but the door made the creepiest <laughs> squeak. <laughs> and we were like, oh my god, we have to record yeah. So we recorded it, because we're like, That's I don't know what we're And even just inside the bathroom sounded creepy. Mm. Right, the like, light was, was buzzing, amazing. and it sounded, yeah. So it's just, it's a thing that I think... I you, remember that bathroom. I was thinking about it when yeah. he was talking about it. I think, so are you guys like hearing people's conversations <laughs> in restaurants, like listening to them? Little. No. no. What? <laughs> I definitely record being at the airport mm -hmm. because it is amazing what passive sure. conversations happen. And sure. I always try to keep that in mind because I'm like, I don't know when I'm going to do it, but there's going to be a totally. scene in an airport somewhere and I'm going to go, this is my moment. Yep, that's what I was thinking about. <laughs> Track 75P, it's your chance. <laughs> that's funny. Wow. What was the hardest part for you, Paul, of, of all the stuff you had to do? Oh, you're asking me what the... Oh, uh... Yeah. For this show. No, <laughs> no, I got You're that. like, it was all equally a nightmare. <laughs> no, it was great. Um, I was I was having a conversation with Jeffrey and I was um, you know, sending him sound effects back and forth, and I think I had sent you the I think it was the the whip at some point. And um you had said, Oh, this is exactly why, you know, we thought of you for this one, and I was like, Yes, thank you. And so a lot of it was just uh just fun it was fun just diving into my sound effects folder and and finding all of these things uh i think the hardest thing um may have been coming up with with original stuff that people hadn't heard before um sure and so like i listed you know meldrick's voice or the whip or you know the the galloping beasts that we have no visual representation for. You know, right. I think those were the hardest things. You did a great job with them. You wouldn't have known from listening. I no. mean, not that they don't sound complex. It's just mm -hmm. it, it all sounds you know Real. very cohesive all the way through. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, again, I don't want to get uh, past this one without mentioning the uh, phenomenal job that Barbara Dillon did as Flint yes. because yes. she's oh so cold God. and she's so hardened. Mm -hmm. And then at the end, when she lets her walls down yep. and you're just like, oh my God. Poor yeah. baby. Yeah. I yeah. know. So sad. What monster wrote these stories? <laughs> these poor, these poor little people just get smacked around by life. <laughs> so sad. Ugh. Sound like Joe and Anthony Russo over here. <laughs> Are there any last thoughts about Antiope and Black, or any other uh, last questions or comments you guys want to make? Um, um, no, I love my little trip to Terra Nova. It was great. Um, <laughs> thank you very much. Oh yeah. <laughs> Um, I just want to do a quick shout out to to Philip Weber because not only did he provide the voice for Meldrick, but he also provided two different voices for the dude, uh, which is super dope. And uh, it's really hard work because you're doing three takes of uh, each. Um, yep. So yeah, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to to Philip there. Thank you, sir. All right. Well, then that brings us to the end of our director's roundtable. Thank you so much uh, for listening to this. Uh, all this great behind-the-scenes info with our amazing directors. Thank you so much to our directors. You could not have been a better team. You turned out the best stuff. We are so proud of it, and we are so proud of you. You guys are awesome. Yay, directors! Thanks, guys. Thanks. It was fun. You guys are great. Thank you. You guys are great. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's uh, It was a blast working on and Glad to got to be part of a cool team. Yeah. High fives, guys. Definitely. Don't forget five, to right? stop by and buy the Dreamnasium short story <laughs> collection. Oh. Yeah, and you can wait if you want because I'm probably going to release a tie-in, you know, new cover and maybe a new forward for the uh, for the original book based on all this. So oh, um, oh, you fancy. can get the original now wow. in hard copy or audio, or you can wait a bit and the cover will change and there'll be a new a new up-to-date uh, uh, forward. So awesome. I might have to buy another copy. I, I feel that it's possible that the people involved with the project may not have to purchase anything. I have to check, but I'm pretty sure the, the, the rights holder will be fine with that. So uh, I wouldn't break up the piggy Yeah. <laughs> That's a fine spot to wrap it up. Thanks for listening, everybody. Cool. High fives, Thank everyone. You. Across the table. Across the table, high fives. Bye. High fives. Hey, high fives. <laughs> high fives. High fives. Dave. Across country, high fives. Dave, guys yeah. stupid. Dave, I know, you're, I know you're all the way across the room, Dave, but really, reach. Reach. Oh, my God. <laughs> nice. Across the Go table, sliding everything. Audio nerds. You don't even know. Go home. Go team. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm gonna have Fabulous. Some Good job, Dave. That was a great high five. <laughs> My headphones fell out halfway through. <laughs> you guys are stupid. Wait, are you guys all in the same room? Jeffrey, I didn't want to tell no. you, but no. we're not. We're not. Everyone's all zones. across the country. Yeah. <laughs> of course not. You guys. Okay. What the hell Hold is on. that? Oh, <laughs> okay. No, that was my bag of chips that I just got rid of. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that was you know what? Shut up. <laughs> What's that?
bag of chips wearing a rain jacket? Yeah, it was a, a giant bag of chips. Okay. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> okay, we'll try this again. 